All right, good morning. Good morning, everybody. How are y'all doing? I think the online podcast is on. Thank you, Steve. We're recording. And um, I am... <laughs> well, it seems to be working. I can hear it myself. So that's really super. So glad all of you are here today on this Tuesday. Um, we're going to do something a little different today. Linda's sister-in-law, Doug's sister, um, uh, had a seizure, went into the hospital. They found a tumor. They fear it's cancerous. She's being operated on like right now. So Patty's going to lead us in a moment of prayer about this. Maybe I should since I'm on the microphone. Let me pray. Gracious Lord, we come to you in prayer at the beginning of class today, and especially for Doug, sister, Linda's sister-in-law, that you will be with the surgeons and the doctors and the nurses as they um, perform this delicate operation on, on their sister and just bring her healing, um, get her through this 100% healthy, um, it's, it's just a reminder of the tenuousness of the life that we lead now. And, and I would ask that you remind us all that the life we lead now is not, is not the extent of our life and existence with you. And indeed, in 1 Corinthians 15, that's what we'll be talking about. So we just pray that you will uh, pour out your grace and your healing upon her. Um, today. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so welcome back. Yes, we missed two weeks because Patty and I and about 87 other intrepid travelers were in Italy. No, wait, where? <laughs> I am so jet lagged still. Oh my gosh. Where did we go, Patty? Tell me again. Israel. Israel, that's right. You wouldn't think that'd be a mistake I could possibly make. But yes, so we uh, just got back from, from uh, a long land trip in Israel, and it was wonderful, as they all have been. This was our sixth time, our third big land trip. That's where you go for the full 10 days of touring. We've done three cruises where you get other biblical lands, like the footsteps of Paul and that sort of thing, but you only get two or three days in Israel to hit the highlights. So it was wonderful as always. Um, the 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 um, I know everyone had meaningful moments, which is what I pray for everyone who goes on the trip. We had great fellowship. I made new friends. Um, that was good because there were probably, out of this group, there were probably fewer people that I knew before we left. But boy, do we all know each other now. <laughs> right? So we are glad to be back. And if you want to, if you wish, you could come to my class on Sunday. I'm going to uh, do sort of an, uh, um, an Immersed in Israel 2022, Impressions of Israel 2022 in my class Sunday and kind of go back over the trip and bring back some, I've got photos and some maps and other things and just kind of talk about what we did and what's there because it'll be fun for the people who have been able to go and if you're, a lot of people can't get over there, and so, but it's still important to try to connect with the, with the places in Israel. So um, anyway, I'm going to do that on Sunday. So in here, we are 
nearly uh, halfway through the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, the great chapter on the resu resurrection. And we are not going to finish it today by any means. We may not finish it next week by any means because this is the center, right? The, tr the, 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 the Christian claims about everything depend upon the truthfulness of the claim that Jesus was resurrected because as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if he was not resurrected, then we're to be pitied more than anyone because we've believed a lie. Paul wasn't interested in building his life on a lie and neither am I. So we'll return there today. We will finish up 1 Corinthians, I think, probably before year end. It's not that far, it's not that far away. Advent's like a couple weeks away, right? Do I have that right? Yes, two weeks away. So um, after we finish 1 Corinthians, I would like to move to the book of first, the books really, of First and Second Samuel. They are one, one scroll, one book, Samuel. I have actually done it in years past on Monday evenings, and I've done it in years past on Tuesdays, but I've never done it with the screen to where I can have maps, and photographs and really do it justice and it's such having come back from Israel I'm all enthusiastic to do an Old Testament book that is filled with lots and lots of great stories that I get more out of every time I come to them and I'm, I'm sure you will too so that's what we'll, we're gonna move to the book of Samuel um, after we finish up 1st Corinthians so any questions about all of that Okay, well, we have opened with prayer, and I think we're good technically. Perfect. I'm going to check my phone. <clears throat> I'm still getting junk content blocking on Facebook, and it makes it a priority for me to make sure that I'm getting the podcast recording. But it's looking good so far. So, um... Turn to 1 Corinthians, if you would. Any questions before we get started today? Anything y'all would like to talk about? I haven't done that in a while. Anything y'all would like to talk about today? Scott? Yes, sir. There's been a couple of uh, history channels and things like that on the resurrection. Uh-huh. And the disbelief that it happened and the stealing of uh, Jesus from the cat. Yes. Well, so Ben is raising the question that there's a lot of TV specials about the resurrection of Jesus. And if you're seeing some now, wait till Easter. They'll be all over the place. And some of them are about disproving. And because that's like, oh, look, we're going to disprove the resurrection of Jesus. Because um, that would draw the headlines. The truth is that, for example, the idea that that um, the, the, the tomb wasn't empty and stuff. There are amongst New Testament scholars today who devote their lives to this, amongst the ones who are non-believers, they all end up saying it was some sort of hallucination, some sort of mass 
feeling about Jesus and something that they shared because you simply, nobody really supports the idea anymore that Jesus didn't die or that, or any of that stuff that you might have heard long in the past. So, so you just have to know that you're going to run into a lot of TV specials like that and come back to 1 Corinthians 15, listen to Paul, open it up, read what he had to say, right, real close to the events, and, and, and allow it to, to strengthen your confidence. You'll find some specials, I think, that are more, um, what could I say, more, more objective. But you're not, TV's not really the place to go for that stuff. It isn't. It just isn't. You know, there are really good lectures by reliable people on the internet that I could direct you to. Um, Doug Habermas comes to mind. But really, it's, it's, you, just, you just can't turn to the media to, to, and feel like you're reliably you know, getting good information. Not just about the resurrection, you understand, but about all kinds of topics. All kinds of topics. Can I have one thing? Yes, sir. You, several months ago, you recommended this N.T. Wright book on Paul. Yes. And I would just like to tell you it's one of the best books I've read in a long time. Okay, so this is... Really, really good. Let me, easy to read. Let me borrow this. That's what I was hoping you Hello, could. online people. This is, <laughs> I feel like Vanna White. This is N.T. Wright's, this is N.T. Wright's book on Paul, which is excellent and was when we, you know, we are just wrapping up, pretty close to wrapping up a 15-week series on Paul in the sermon series. And we had to have, we had to have something that all of us could use as a framework for when are we going to date things and all the rest of it. And we decided to use N.T. Wright's framework for Paul, and it's excellent, and the book is excellent, and so thank you for that. Easy to read. Easy to read, yes. And N.T. Wright, <laughs> Wright, he writes scholarly materials, and he writes for lay people as well, you and me. And um, he has a real gift for the way he puts things. Um, especially when he's speaking, a lot of a lot of you you hear me say about our, that resurrection, our resurrection, which Paul is talking about, is our life after life after death. I've said that a thousand times. That I borrowed it from N.T. Wright, one of his really helpful little phrases. So, anything else? Okay. Well, where I would like to begin, as I reflected as best I could on what we did last time, um, I would like to go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. We did, some, we did this paragraph last time, but I did it too fast. And I, I know I did, and so I want to slow down, take my time, take your time. It's important to see what Paul is doing in this. And there's some important pieces of what, of what we call Christology, which is what we believe about Jesus Christ, okay, in this. So, and the lighting is not the best, and I guess my eyes are still tired because they're jet lagged. So, 
If I stumble a little bit, forgive me. Okay, look at, let's go back to, I love verse 19. Verse Corinthians 15, verse 19, where Paul says, If only for this life we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If it's a lie, and it only has meaning because when we hit the end of our lives, it's like the light goes out, extinguished, that's it, then we're to be pitied more than all if we've believed a lie for the course of our lives. So, but then in verse 20, he says, but Christ indeed has been raised from the dead. Hallelujah. This is the whole point of, first, of chapter 15. And the basic proof that he offers is not what follows from this. The basic proof we've already been. Look back at 15 verses 3 to, to 8. That testimony, remember that's a creedal testimony, probably goes back to very close to the events of the crucifixion and resurrection, something that Paul was taught um, early, perhaps not long after he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. That's the kind of testimony. I mean, in the ancient world, that's it. In the ancient world, the grade A golden historical evidence is eyewitness testimony. Eyewitness testimony. That's what ancient people wanted in the way of, of being confident about what happened. And so that's what he offers. Closing in saying that there are more than 500 brothers and sisters who saw the resurrected Jesus. As if to say, most of them are still alive and go ask them. You don't have to just trust Paul, you can, just, you can go ask them. Because Paul understands that it is the linchpin. It is the truth, it is the claim upon which Christianity stands or falls. So back to verse 20, he says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, who have died. Fallen asleep is just a pretty standard biblical metaphor for, for, for death. So the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And we, a couple of weeks ago, when was it? Three weeks ago, we talked about that that's an agricultural harvest metaphor. Harvest sometimes, you have first fruits and then you'll have a second harvest. And so it's Paul's way of, of talking about that Jesus is the first and the rest of us will follow. He's just the first fruits, not the only fruits, the first fruits. Not the only person to be resurrected, the first person to be resurrected, the rest of us will follow. Doesn't matter that it's been 2,000 years. What the heck is 2,000 years? I can remember my third grade class. You know, my teacher would have a clock on the wall, you know, it would have, well, here's where the dinosaurs were and all this other stuff. Well, and here's the human, that it's about like two seconds before 12 o'clock. Remember those? Right up there. We haven't been here that long. What's 2,000 years? In the big scheme of thing, it's nothing. Big scheme of thing, it's nothing. But Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, have died. Four. Since death came through a man, that man is whom? Who? No, 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 no. No, no, death came through whom? Adam. Adam. 
Adam. I'm, I almost feel myself turning into Lior Rothenberg, who is one of our guides. <laughs> the death came through Adam. What happens, this is why what the stories in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are so foundational. You've got to spend time with those stories and get them in your heart and mind. When Adam and Eve rebel against God, the consequence is that they will be expelled from the garden, they will not eat from the tree of life, they will die, and now death is with us. And death is what? The great enemy. Death is the enemy. Nobody in our world can overcome death. In the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, death is the last horse riding out, rider riding out. Death, well, that's not anything new. Everybody dies. Jesus died. Paul died. Everybody dies. Nobody can escape. And so death is the enemy of life. Death is the enemy of relationship. What, what happens when someone dies? with their friends and the family, the people who love them. Those relationships are torn asunder and we grieve and we weep, right? What is the resurrection, the, the great resurrection of the dead about? Putting those relationships back together, of course, right? We are to love God and love others and death gets in the way of that. Death pulls us apart. So it, the great resurrection will put us back together. For since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Now who's that? Jesus? Yes. So what he's doing is something that Paul does several times in, in his letters where he sets up these two, two archetypes really. Adam and Jesus. Death came through Adam, life comes through Jesus. Sin came through Adam. I want to use the word life again. Life came, life came through Jesus. The resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die. So in Christ all will be made alive. There you go. Death came through Adam, life, resurrection. The bodily resurrection will, of course, come through Christ. That's the point. You have to understand the larger work, the larger purpose that God has had going on <coughs> since Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, since they rebelled against God and created this problem. And we are on, yeah, Don. Yes. Okay. So we believe in the resurrection. So yes. that gives us hope. But now let's take this person over here that doesn't believe in the resurrection. What happens to them? Okay, so Don is asking me the question about people. Let me just say it differently. Sure. You want to know about people who have, have not put their faith in Christ on this side of the grave. How, is, that, is that a fair way to summarize it? 
Okay, because we aren't, if you read Paul, it, it, it isn't our believing in the resurrection that is the saving, right? It is our faith in Christ. It is trusting in Jesus. That's what God wants from us, to trust in Jesus. And our confidence in the resurrection goes along with that. So your question to me is, well, what happens to those who don't come to faith in Christ in this life? And so then the question becomes is, can the grace of God extend past the grave? It's interesting. Rich Morgan just sent me an article today stepping through an argument for the answer being yes. Scripturally, God's grace extends past the grave. It's what I believe that I believe that if I have a loved one who does not come to know Jesus in this life, that doesn't mean that it's over for them, that they can come to know Jesus after their death. Okay? Because I, the grace of God is hugely expansive. God's purpose is what? to keep people out. God's purpose is to restore humanity to God's self. And so, since I know that scripturally death is not the end of our existence, there is a life after death, and indeed the resurrection applies to all people. That's Revelation 20. The resurrection is about all people, not, not just those who already know Christ, it's all people. Where does the judgment happen? Not, not at the time we die. The judgment happens in Revelation 20, at the very last things, after Jesus returns. So you have to put things in the right order, which interestingly is what Paul is going to do here. So I believe that if, that a person who doesn't come to know Jesus in this life will have the opportunity to know Jesus after the grave. Now does that, what? Yeah, I sure do believe that after the grave a person can refuse. I sure do. I think some will. You know? Yeah, exactly. I think we are a we are a pretty prideful bunch, all in all. And I don't think free will is wiped out just because we, we just because we died. But you would think, Don, all I'm telling you, what Don is saying is, for those who are online, is that if you die and somebody comes to you <laughs> and says, well, you know, you, you really screwed up. It's really actually true. And you still turned away, you'd be pretty stupid. <laughs> yes, but guess how many stupid people there are in this world? Yeah, because be, here's what you can't underestimate is, is, is pride. Um, what you should do, Don, is read the first few chapters of C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce, in which his way of talking about this and the way the people in, quote, this grayish existence, which for him is sort of hell, this grayish existence, the way they talk about the other ones, the ones who knew Jesus, and how annoying they find them, and all this other stuff. And he, so what? So C.S. Lewis brings to the point of saying, "Well, I, well, you know, the gates of hell are locked from the inside." 
because they don't want to hang out with all those, you know, sanctimonious, you know, folks. So, yeah, good questions. You know what the really good thing is, Don? Though I talk about it, it's not really mine to answer, is it? Except to encourage people to embrace a very large view of God's grace and a very large view of our existence. And to understand that you need to learn the order to put things in scripturally and then see what emerges from it. Okay? Okay. Verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn. The ordering of things matters. And so he's, Paul's going to say, the ordering of all of this matters, you Corinthians. You're, you're kind of messing with the order of everything. The order matters. So let's talk about these things in turn. Christ, the first fruit. There we go. Because Jesus has, this is written, I don't know, 53 A.D.? A.D. 53, in the year of the Lord, 53? A bit more than 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, something like that. So that's in the past. The resurrection of Jesus is in the past, and he is the first fruits. Then, when he comes... Now, what are we talking about there? When who comes? The, the, Jesus. You know, when you go to Israel, the guides, they keep asking these questions. They try to pull out of people answers. I think they want people to participate. So who's coming are we awaiting? Jesus. In, a, in a strong, bold voice, please. Jesus. There you go. There you go. So let me... you <laughs> Right? This is what we're waiting for out here is the second coming of Jesus. The Perusia, the Parousia, how do they say it at Perkins? Parousia? Parousia? So the Parousia, that's the Greek word for it. It's Jesus' second coming, right? That's what we're waiting for. When Jesus comes, then all of a sudden things start happening. And until Jesus comes, we are living in between the times. Paul, 2,000 years ago, you and me today, and for I, all I know, there will be Christians 10,000 years from now who will still be talking about this and reading Paul and still understanding that they are in the last days and still awaiting the return of Jesus. Because as Peter says um, in 2 Peter, a thousand years for us is like a day for the Lord. So just, just let God do things God's way. Okay? Okay, so Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Okay? Those are Christ's people. Then the end will come, He's not focusing here on, the other, on, on non-believers, but if you go to Revelation, everybody's raised. So it's really not a conflict. He's just focusing on a piece of this. Then the end will come. Okay? So there's still so, so there is. Jesus has been resurrected. 
Jesus' people will be resurrected and then in continuing in the order, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. And those words, RK and the rest, in the Greek, are words that speak to the spiritual forces of wickedness, not just the earthly powers. It is all opposition to Jesus. That's what's in view, is that Jesus returns, the dead are raised, all opposition to Jesus is swept away, and then Jesus will hand that kingdom to the Father. That's what Paul's talking about here. Okay, verse 25. For he must reign until, this is Jesus, that's the he. For Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Now there should be a qu uh, quotation marks around that. Because that's from Psalm 8. Um, earlier, it was from Psalm, a little bit from Psalm 110. Paul actually quotes from Psalm 110 and Psalm 8, these, and he uses the pa passages messianically. Okay, and they would be part of the... Yesterday in my class on 1 Thessalonians, which we just started, we read in Acts where Paul was in Thessalonica um, reasoning through the scriptures with his Jewish brothers and showing them how Jesus had to be had to suffer and and be risen and and Psalm 110 and Psalm 8 I'll bet you are part of the scriptures that Paul used in making his argument because he uses them here because this is clearly a kingly verse right this is a messianic verse for he must reign who reigns I don't reign no. Kings reign. Messiah's reign. Remember, Messiah is a kingly, is, is, is a king word. It's a royal word, the anointed one. Kings are anointed. The Messiah is a king word. For Jesus must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So, Let me ask you a funny question you can speculate about over lunch, maybe. Today's election day. If Jesus is in charge, do we need to have an election as to who's going to be in charge? What do you think? If Jesus is in charge, do we need to have, a, have an election to see if we agree that Jesus is should be in charge. Let me rephrase it. Are you comfortable with Jesus being king? I am. There's no human I trust in that way, but I trust Jesus in that way. You know, that takes some getting used to because, you know, part of, the, part of what a democracy is filled with, including in America, is filled with checks and balances, right? All kinds of ways. You can go through our constitutional system here in America, in this constitutional republic, we have lots of checks and balances that are supposed to restrain us. 
because we are sinful people. Power does corrupt. Absolute power does corrupt absolutely. It is, it is just how we are. And it's foolish to, to deny it. And so we have competing legislative houses, and we have courts, and we have executives, and powers distributed among the states and kept away from the feds unless they try to take more, and then the states fighting. It's all checks and balances. Because there's certainly no human being that I know in this world that I would like to have reign over me. I'm not a fan of what people sometimes call, we need to have a benevolent dictatorship. Well, I'm sorry, there's no dictator that I would trust with that. But Jesus, as king, I'm, I'm ready for that. So should we not vote? We, of course we should vote, because Jesus hasn't returned yet. Get the, right, you have to get the order right. Christ has been raised, went, just look at the order of the sentence there. And for, then Jesus, is re, Jesus returns, then he reigns, then Jesus returns, the resurrection, right? And then he reigns and he's putting all opposition away. Sweeping away all opposition. My point is that he will reign as king. And he is not like people we elect as president, senator, governor, or anything else. So in the meantime, what do we do? We have a system. If we're smart, we have a system filled with lots of checks and balances to try to restrain sinfulness, restrain the accumulation of power, ways to expose corruption, and the rest of it, right? Because we are living in the last days when sin and death and corruption and greed, they're all still with us. They're still with us, even though salvation, new creation, new covenant, new temple have all arrived as well. So we live in the tension between the top line and the bottom, this tension, right? I use my hands in, in the tension. So are we clear about that? Because I don't want to be misquoted as saying, well, Scott doesn't think we should have elections or something. All I'm saying is, if Jesus is king, I don't care about elections. He can tell me, you know, what he really thinks how to do. I trust him. That's the issue, see? What? There are a billion Christians, more than a billion, more than a billion Christians on the planet. We, are all, we all wear a badge of membership in the body of Christ. What does that badge and membership say? Faith in Jesus. Faith in Christ. That's all it says. Don't start filling it up with lots of other stuff. That's what it says. That Read Romans 3 and Romans 4. That's it. Faith in Christ. Galatians 2, faith in Christ, faith in Christ, faith in Christ. Um, we can easily start loading it all up and dividing ourselves. I'm so, I, 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 um, I'm, I'm, I will share with you that I'm disappointed with how a lot of Methodists are handling the fragmentation of the UMC. It's happening, it's inevitable, it's not over, it's gonna keep happening. But you know what? When it's all done, 
And even today, we're still all brothers and sisters in Christ. We're still all going to be Methodists. We, have, we, are, we have still all put our faith in Christ. We don't compete with one another. Read, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I remember what that was all about. Oh, some of you say you're Apollos, and some of you say you're Peter's, and some of you say you're this and that and this and that. I don't know. It's, it's, our identity is in Christ, and it should be enough for everybody, even as we live out the little different, the differences that we have amongst ourselves. But boy, sometimes it's hard for us, I guess. Okay, back to verse 25. For Jesus must reign as king until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is what? Death. Death. Uh, there's a beautiful metaphor in the book of Revelation where death is tossed into the lake of fire. That's fantastic. Death is the enemy. Christ has overcome death. Death will not hold me. When I breathe, breathe my last on in this life, I will then be with Christ, Philippians chapter 1, and I will await my resurrection. When I will be able to hug my mama again and hug my grandfather and presumably hug my lovely Patty and that, that's what makes us people of hope. It's not hope like the world has out there where they're going to hope they'll win the lottery or maybe it'll... We know, we know what's going to happen. We know what awaits us. How do we know what awaits us? Because Christ has been resurrected. That's how we know. That's why you need to ground yourself. St. Andrew is filled with a lot of very smart, educated, intellectual people. You need to ground yourself in the evidence for the resurrection so that you can draw on it to make yourself confident that Jesus was resurrected and then embrace the idea that, wow, that changes everything on a macro level and it changes everything for me and for the people I care about. Thoughts or questions? I was just going to say, we just came back from Israel, and I hope all of you get to go to Israel someday, because when you're there, this all becomes real. It becomes totally real and clear, and you're at the places where Jesus died. You're at the places where... He a walked and talked. And there's a Patty's saying that 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 when you go to Israel, there's a concreteness to it that further deepens your 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 faith. But you know, we there's a lot of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. That doesn't depend on somebody just saying, "Oh, I, I, I you know, you, you need to believe this." Oh well, okay. Oh no, I told you that. There, there's a scholar named Douglas Habermas who, a long time ago, because he's getting to be an older guy like me, um, went to his 
committee, dissertation committee, PhD committee at Michigan State, not a religious school, and said, I want to do a dissertation on the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And they said, okay, but you can't use anything in the way of, well, the Bible says it. You can use these, these writings, because these are ancient writings like, like Caesar's, you know, Veni Vidi Vici, is that it? The opening of his book, The Gallic Wars. So, but, but not as like sacred scripture, they said. You can't, you can't do that. You can't just come to me and say, well, the Bible says it, you know, I believe it. And so he wrote the dissertation. And, you know, he's been teaching ever since the full array of resurrection evidence that most people just don't know anything about. Douglas Habermas, H-A-B-E-R-M-A-S. He has videos out, a lot of them out on, on YouTube and stuff, in which he walks through. He walks through as we did. Part of it is in 1 Corinthians 15 in the, these opening verses about who saw Jesus and how old that material is, right back there, very close to the actual events. And even here, we're only 23 years past, so think about this. Paul is writing this letter in the same time frame as today compared to the year 2000. That is not very far, at least not for me. That seems like yesterday. George Bush was being elected president 22 years ago. Okay? So the last enemy to, back to verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For, quote, good, he has put everything under his feet. Psalm 8, verse 6, I think. Now when it says that everything has put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself. Who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son, S-O-N himself, will be made subject to him, that is God, who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now, that verse is problematic. And you have to give Paul some grace. He's writing in 52, 53 AD. All of the great work of later New Testament writers and later Christians on the nature of God and the Trinity, all of that lies ahead. So this verse has been used, was used in the past, maybe is used today, to support what's called a subordinationist theology of, of Jesus, where you have God like the Father and Jesus below. Okay? And if all we had to speak to any of that is this one verse, it might be where you really did end up. But it's not. And it's wrong. Because what it does is it, oblit it obliterates the unity of the triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is not lower than the Father. He is not lower than the Spirit. 
And so if you looked up subordinationism in Wikipedia or anywhere else, you will see it labeled as a Christian heresy because it weakens, you know, the godhood of Jesus. Do you want to add anything to that, Laura? Lauren? Laura? Laura? <laughs> I'm so punchy. I'm, you're lucky I, I, I didn't call you Jane or something. Yes. And so I, I think it's, when, when you come to a verse like that, it's understandable to me that because of the incarnation, people would, and Jesus taking on humanity, being born to Mary, all of that, that people would come to see Jesus as lower than the Father, okay? But he's not. He's not. And if you take away from this verse the idea that he is, well, Christians concluded after how many years, five centuries or whatever, that you're wrong. Because, and, and what, I, what I want to emphasize here is that never, repeat, never, never, never build a theology on one verse. I don't care what it's about. You can't, if all you have is one verse to go on, then just skip it. Go to a different topic. Um, it's what bugs me about women being preachers or teachers of men. It all hinges on a couple, on a on a on a couple of verses, as opposed to looking at the entire biblical, Old and New Testament testimony about women working in in God's ministry. 
So that's the caution. It's just, it, you know, it just is. And because I, I think all the time people are in their brains trying to figure out, you know, what's the Trinity and it's easy to make mistakes and because we want to understand it all and the Creed doesn't always, the Apostles' Creed doesn't always help. It's a little bit confusing. There may be, may be another couple commas in there or something. And I just keep running into it all the time. So, there is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is triune. Three persons, one God. They are all, they are not, one is not lower than the others. They are, why? Why? Because they're one. They're one. They're not parts. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Father are not parts of God. Each of them is fully and completely God. That doesn't make, it doesn't even make sense. I can't be lower than myself. I can get low, but I can't be, right? I can't be lower than myself. Does he hand over here? Yes. So when we, when we personally pray, yes. like we're asking for guidance or help or fix this or whatever we're praying, do we pray to God or do we pray to Jesus? Well, Okay, sure, you pray to God. Pray, I think for many Christians, we follow the model of Jesus in the Lord's Prayer. To whom did Jesus pray? In the Lord's Prayer, our Father. So I think most, a lot of Christians adopt the practice of praying to God or to the Father. But if you want to pray to Jesus, that's good. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. If you want to pray to the Holy Spirit, go for it, because the Holy Spirit is God. Any of that is better than not praying. How about that? No, it doesn't work like that, Jerry. There's only one. You don't get to, you know, it doesn't work like that. Besides, God does answer prayer, just maybe not in the time frame or the way you want, right? Yes, Andy. When we do prayers in church, they say, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Yeah. That's right. So the, the important thing is to pray. More so than, you know, pray to God, pray to the Heavenly Father, pray to Jesus, pray to the Spirit. All of that is better. Anything in there is better than not praying, right? Sure course. All right. Now what he wants to find, now in verse 29, we're going to make a small shift and he's going to just contemplate, well, you know, if there isn't any re resurrection, then what does that mean? Maybe we'll ask, maybe I'll ask you to come up with a few ideas in a minute. Let's see what he says. He says, now, if there is no resurrection, that means of the dead, that means of everybody. That's the focus. He's not really focused on Jesus' resurrection. He's focused on our resurrection because that's what the Corinthians deny. Now if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? What? What's that all about? Hmm. Okay, my advice to you is pull out a piece of paper 
Write, write your thoughts about that down and take it to the Apostle Paul someday when you're on the other side of the grave because people don't really know. I mean, the Jews didn't really make a practice of baptizing for the dead, baptizing the dead or anything. We don't make a practice of baptizing the dead. There's no other reference in any of Paul's letters to baptizing the dead. Do you have any... Did your learned professors at Perkins, were they willing to... Yes. 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 Richard Hayes just kind of throws his hands up and he just kind of says, look, we, we don't really know what Paul is talking about here. Mormons do baptize the, for the dead, yes. But they're not Christian. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's go on. If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? See, that's the tricky part. I mean, if, if, I, mean I could say, well, if, if the dead are raised, why don't we baptize at all? What are we all doing here? We might as well all go to Starbucks on Sunday morning. <laughs> really, that's what he says, you know? If... Right? What does he say? If, if Jesus wasn't resurrected, then we've all believed a lie. Go find something better to do. You know, if this is only about making friends, there are other ways to make friends. If this, if this is only a way of enjoying a potluck together, there's other ways to do that. What are we about as Christians? We are about proclaiming the good news and indeed God has rescued us from sin and death. And the resurrection is a proof of that. That's what we're about. Verse 30, and as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? What Paul's thinking, I know what he's thinking to himself. At this point, this is easier. Why have I endured everything I've endured? Why have I been beaten and left for dead and tortured? And Look what he says there. Why do we endanger ourselves every hour? If I face death every day, yes, just as surely I... For I face death every day, yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. He knew what he had suffered, what he had endured constantly throughout his ministry. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? What he means by wild beasts, he doesn't mean wild animals. I, nobody thinks he was really tossed into a coliseum with wild animals because he wouldn't have survived that. He means the wild beasts are these crazy people who would attack him and chase him out of town in Ephesus. You know, he probably spent three years like in prison in Ephesus or something. There was a lot of trouble in Ephesus. Acts 19, if you want to read about some of it. Wow. You know, he says, why, why would I do all of this? What have I gained from any of it if the dead are not raised, if there is no resurrection? If there is no resurrection, ha, well, then he quotes a little, 
Ecclesiastes, right? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we'll die. Party time, baby. Eat and drink, tomorrow we'll die. Who cares about anything? Right? I don't see how atheists get through life, myself. I, you know? Eat, whatever. Anything goes. Why not? We're all going to die. That'll be the end of it. Yada, yada. What, you have any thoughts about other concepts? If there is no resurrection of the dead, and we're all wasting our time here, <laughs> what other, are there other consequences for your life? Yeah, but what is that? I mean, we, we can take Jesus, the pre-resurrection, let's talk about before his death, he preached love, etc. But do we do it, Don? That's but the thing, my friend. So I could I could walk you through Confucius. I love Confucius. Just nobody. I'm, someday I'm I'm gonna do a class, Christians for Confucius. The <laughs> really Confucius had a lot of good things. The Buddhists have a lot of good things. We don't do it. I don't care that Jesus preached love. If the, we don't need another teacher of love in this world, we know how we should live. We just won't. As Paul says, I do the things I know I shouldn't do, and I don't do the things I know I should. So that's the, for me, Don, that's the breakdown in Jesus being a teacher. Well, He's teaching us things we already know, but won't do. And hence, we're trapped. Well, didn't we know it before he said it? Sure. Sure, the Jews knew it. Where the two great commandments. Jesus said there's two great commandments. What? Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and your strength. Love your neighbors as yourselves. As your, where do those come from? Deuteronomy 6, Leviticus 19. Jesus, how innovative is Jesus? Jesus isn't innovative. Not, not, in, the respect, not in the respect of morality. It's laid out there. There's wonderful portions of the Old Testament law. Ah, my favorite. You find your enemies, you find your enemies an oxen tied to a tree, take it to them. Take it to them. Don't keep your enemy. Take it to them. So, no, no, I, I kind of grew up sort of, yeah, you know, Jesus is this teacher. And then I grew up and I saw life and I understood that, man, no. Confucius, the Buddha, the Old Testament. Did you party and make Mary? I party and made Mary. For the resurrection? Or were you a good person that loved their neighbor? You know, we, we all strive to be, we all, not a why shouldn't we all strive to be good people? You know, I was raised in the church. I, at one time when I was 13, I thought maybe I'd grow up and be like an Episcopal priest or something. You know, that kind of passed away, kind of went away. But... I think there is an ethic that we learn, obviously, in Scripture and from Jesus. But my point is not that that ethic is, can, should be forgotten. My point is there are other places where we could learn such an ethic. My point is that the key to Jesus does not lie in his teachings about the life we should lead. Because we don't.
and we won't. And so we must be rescued from ourselves. And that required Jesus' faithfulness all the way to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus as the teacher, Jesus as the example, as the example, all of those fall short of understanding Jesus. They are not the, they are not the good news. The gospel is not, why don't you just go love everybody? That is not the gospel, not the evangelion in the New Testament. The evangelion in the New Testament is that Jesus is Lord and you have been made right with God by Jesus' faithfulness. That short. Embrace it and live a good life and, be, and be, strive to be like Jesus because that's the other side of the coin. Trust and obey. So... I get worked up about it because I think a lot of people end up being, I don't know, at least as I grew up, a lot of people didn't really get that. They didn't get that. Um, and they, they end up, where do they end up believing? I remember Gallup did a poll I read like, this is 12, 15 years ago, asking people, well, are you good enough to get into heaven? What do you think people's answer is? Yeah, I am. You know, I don't know about my friend over, but yeah, I think I am. I think I am. That was like two-thirds of people. like, And they were mostly people who would say they were Christian at the time. This was a while back. Yeah, I think I am. No, I want to say. No. 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 We underestimate. What do we do? We underestimate our own sinfulness. We fail to see in ourselves what we are so quick to see in others. But, Scott, but you told us that <laughs> what a, don't get to heaven by doing good deeds. Right? Yeah, that's right. right. That's, that's right. right. Yeah. So, that, so, so, so the people who say, yeah, you know, I think I've done it good enough to get in heaven, they don't understand. This is what Arthur and I and Robert Hasley have been talking about, God bless his soul, have been talking about for years now. There is in America a folk Christianity that is not Christianity. It's a folk Christianity. Um, it was labeled by some of the researchers as moralistic therapeutic deism, which is the first part of which is be nice, as if that is the sum of the Christian ethic. Be nice. Therapeutic. Jesus will help you where, Jesus will help you when you need it. When you need a little pick-me-up or a little coach, you know, Jesus will be there for you. You need a little life coach? Yeah, Jesus can do that for you once in a while. And the deism? Yeah, you know, God got everything started a long time ago and now it's just kind of rolling out and God isn't really involved in the world and so forth. Moralistic therapeutic deism. And it is not Christianity. It is a, it is a, what would be the word? A faux. F-A-U-X. A faux Christianity. I'm glad you said that because online what it's saying is full Christianity. It's, you know, the little... The little, um, you mean like the closed caption? Don't trust closed captions. Faux. Fake. F-A-U-X. And um, I'm trying to remember the name of the lead researcher on this big project, Christian Smith. 
really, they did such good work. I mean, I know how to do research like this because I have a PhD in the social sciences. And they did a really, really good job over a very, very long time is with um, written surveys, telephone surveys, interviews of youth across America, talking with Christian youth about their faith and, what, and discovering how these youth expressed their faith. And he labeled it the moralistic therapeutic deism. And then he asked the, the big question, well, where do you think they learned this? From their parents, of course, from their parents. So this is something Robert started talking about, whew, how long ago? A long time ago. And then Arthur's picked it up, and I've been doing it all along because it's, it's you got to get through all that stuff and get to the, get to the gospel. That's I think Arthur preached last weekend. There is no other gospel. Is, am I right? Maybe. There is no other gospel. There is no other evangelion. That's a Greek word. There is no other proclamation. There is no other good news. Okay, so I've preached enough about that. I could preach longer, but I'm not. <laughs> so, so, of course, so Paul says, look, if there's no resurrection, sure. Eat, drink, and make merry. For tomorrow we're going to die. That's it. Lights out. Boom. Who was it? Well, oh gosh, it's a poet now whose name I can't remember. I'm getting way too old. Who says, do not go gentle into that good night. For him... That good night was all there was. I wouldn't mind going gently into the arms of Christ myself when it's my time. So, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we will die. And then verse 33, Paul says, Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. It's in quotes. I wish I could tell you where that came from, but I can't. Bad company corrupts good... Probably my mother... <laughs> bad company corrupts good character come back to your senses you Corinthians as you ought to and stop sinning understand the life God has called you so this is the Don's point understand the life that God has called you to you have been saved by Jesus' faithfulness all the way to death even death on a cross so act like it stop sinning Straighten up. Get your act together. Strive to be Christ-like. Strive to be a person in whom others see kindness and compassion and generosity every day. Paul says, work out your own salvation because the two are inextricably bound together. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. For there are some who are ignorant of God, presumably amongst their group. And he says, I say this to your shame. Whoa, now for you and me, that's a strong statement, right? To your shame. That isn't something people are even willing to talk about anymore in 2022. Your shame. In this culture, that is like a neon billboard. Because this is an honor and shame culture. For these people, everything in life that they live is about gathering honor and avoiding shame. And Paul is, I think he is a pastor 
who was really being hard on them. Why? Why is he being hard? Because he loves them. Because he loves them. It's easy to walk away. It's easy to look away. It's easy to say, oh, well, never mind. It's okay. Never mind. You've got this all messed up, but I don't care. No, he does care. He knows that this matters more than anything. And he wants them to get it, to understand it. So when we come back next week, we are going to pick up at 35. And we're going to begin to talk about the, the obvious question you know Paul was asked, which I have been asked many times over. Well, when I'm resurrected, what sort of body will I have? Will I have hair? Will I have a six-pack? How old will I be? Will I need glasses? I don't know what it is. <laughs> but of course you know Paul has asked the same question. What sort of body am I going to have, you know, when Jesus comes back and we're all resurrected? So we will, we will pick up there, and I will tell you that right in the midst of all that, there is a huge, huge translation issue, which most translators don't handle well and only confuse people. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time, just a, just a wee bit of time in the Greek. And it will be very plain when I, very evident when I explain to you what's going on. And I will try to use my teacherly skills to help you grasp what Paul is saying in the middle of that upcoming section. Scott? Yes. A couple of people online uh, that if we could just, in your closing prayer, Evie Burns. Yes. She is usually, she is listening right now, um, waiting for an MRI. Okay. So let's, well, let's we'll pray. keep Evie in our prayers. Okay. Wow. Wow, that's a big project. All the little devotional books, they're all signed and they are gone. So, that's very that's great. Anything else, Patty? That was it. Anything else anybody before I close this up in prayer today? I made it through class. Now I need a nap. <laughs> Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord, Help us to come to you in humility as recipients of your grace, overwhelmed by the love expressed in the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, in his incarnation, in his suffering, in his willingness to be faithful to you all the way to death, even death on a cross, as Paul writes. Help us to understand that we were bought with a price that we are not merely our own, but we are yours. And help us to live every day in that knowledge, striving to be ever truer disciples of Jesus and ever better witnesses to Jesus. Help us to live in such a way that others see in us a surprising kindness and joy and patience and gentleness. For this is the life to which you have called us, and we are grateful. Amen. Amen. Let me tell you one other thing as we leave here. So, um, we had a guide this time we didn't know. It was an emergency substitute. 
His name was Matty. He was about 45, um, tall guy, uh, as all the men over there, former Israeli soldier, um, excellent guide, really a nice, nice fellow. And he came to Patty at the end of the trip, or was it Mayor who said this? Okay, so this was Mayor. Let me back up. So Mayor was one of the bus drivers. Bus drivers are an integral part of this. So Mayor, also an M, Mayor came up to Patty at the end of the trip and said, on the lives of my children, <laughs> big statement, on the lives of my children, I will tell you, I have never had a group like the St. Andrew group. He loved us, and we loved him. And I think the St. Andrew groups, whether it was 2014, 16, 18, this group, when we go, everybody is really being a witness to Jesus in how we love on one another and on the guides and on the drivers and with all the people we encounter. So that always just thrills. Oh, that's always one of my biggest thrills is, is, is people see Christ in, in the groups that, that, we, that we take there, send there. So anyway, that's it. Adios. Have a blessed day, blessed week.